have to shout now. <laughs> That's good news. Well, um, I'm going to try and keep it brief. Uh, it's really good to see what God's been doing this morning because once again it confirms um, that what I've prepared is right. Uh, and, uh, and speaking to John this morning as he was preparing for worship as well just confirmed everything. And, it, uh, and yesterday, I want to start off with yesterday because we had a wedding in here. Uh, it was a really nice wedding. It wasn't a huge wedding, but it was a really, really special wedding. And it, it was a very... Um, I, I love weddings. I, I'm going to go right out there now. I'm a big, burly bloke, but I love weddings. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because of God. And, and I, think, I think my wedding was the best. You know? <laughs> Everyone out there who's married says their weddings are the best. You know? and, and I think mine was. You know, I genuinely do. And today, believe it or not, is our 18th wedding anniversary. Lucy and I. 18, <laughs> 18 years ago. Um, we couldn't do weddings here, could we? So we did it at Broadmead Baptist Church. And Brian spoke, and Brian did the ceremony. And, and uh, yeah, you had darker hair and I had hair. <laughs> 18 years. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, it all began, and this is where I'm coming from today. This is I'm gonna come, this, this angle of relationship with God. Um, it all began when Lucy turned around and smiled at me in 1993. That was it. And I'm going to get a bit soppy here, <laughs> but... I got in the back of a car to get a lift to a church in Sheffield as part of the student union thing, the Christian union. And I didn't really know anyone in town at the time. And I didn't particularly want a girlfriend. I'd had one that ended badly. And um, I wasn't looking at all. She turned around and just smiled at me. And I knew that that smile was the one. Uh, and, and it just sort of went off inside my head. And, uh, and I was never the same again, really. And... Um, <laughs> fell in love in an instant and and you could say I stalked her after that so she would <laughs> so you know um yeah I just wanted to get into a relationship with her as soon as possible I just you know, I hadn't been looking but suddenly I was uh, and it and it was it was amazing when I first heard Lucy sing I didn't know she could sing like she does I thought I was gonna die I just thought that noise is coming out of her it was amazing. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> I'm almost finished. <laughs> no, I still love it when she sings. We were down in, uh, Rhiannon and I were down in Glories last week, and uh, we missed all the worship and everything, and Lucy started singing at one point, and I was reading Jonah and the whale to the little kids downstairs, little four, three and four-year-olds, and I just stopped because I heard that noise. And I was just like... <sighs> and all the kids went like... And, <laughs> and and then Jonah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still like that now, uh, you know. And when I fell in love with Lucy, it started something in me that, that I couldn't resist. It was um, yeah, it's an irresistible feeling. You know, if you've ever had that feeling. Can we put the slide up that I gave you? Just that one picture. Hopefully, it's going to come up on the screen. Someone shared. A friend of mine shared this on Facebook this week. <clears throat> And uh, I, I, I reshared it, as you, as you do on Facebook, so that my friends would see it. And, um, and one of my friends, who's not a Christian, he's not here today, um, liked it. And I thought, she gets it. Because I've told her about my relationship with Jesus. Uh, and I was trying to convince her that she needed one. <laughs> and, uh, and she gets it. You know, religion is a guy in church thinking about surfing. Relationship is a guy out surfing thinking about God. That is it, in a nutshell. 
And, and it's, um, there's much more to it than that, so I'm going to expand a little bit. Um, but I, I don't know if you know, there's going to be another wedding one day. It's going to be the greatest wedding that's ever happened. And it's not going to be between a man and a woman in a human sense. It's going to be so incredible that it will make you cry. It will make you praise God. And I'm talking, of course, about the wedding of the Son of God, Jesus, with his bride, the church. And I think this is why, I suppose God gave me a bit of a revelation into it a few years ago. This is why I get emotional at weddings. Because when I, when I see the bride coming down the aisle, I saw it yesterday, it makes me emotional. Uh, and it's almost like Jesus whispers to me, one day, one day, we'll be together forever. And it's that, that moment of like realisation that it's going to be a glorious wedding. I don't know if you've ever been in love. If you've ever been in love with someone, you know how that feels. You know how um, your heart rate surges, your adrenaline kicks in whenever you see them. You can't stop looking at them. I know when we used to go to CU meetings, I used to sit near the back and she would be nearer the front with her friends and I'd just be like... <laughs> and then I'd be all casual, like, yeah, let's look at the ceiling for a bit and back to you. <laughs> just hoping that our eyes would meet. You know, just, just hoping, really, that she would look at me. And once she did, I was like, <gasps> she looked at me. And that, that feeling of excitement and fascination um, stays with you when you're in love. And there's that desire as well to be loved in return, to, to, to that reciprocation of it. So, does she love me? I really love her. I hope she notices me. You know, that kind of thing. And do you know what? I'm going to say something. I'm going to go right out there. That's how Jesus feels when he looks at you. See some of you going, huh? Yeah, that's how Jesus feels when he looks at you. The adrenaline, if he was human, went through his body. The excitement, his heart rate increases. He goes, you're looking at me. He so wants to be in relationship with you that he gets that feeling, probably on a a million times more. (laughs) Okay, so... Jesus so wants to be in relationship with you that he came to earth, came to earth as a human being. That for him was a major step down. It was a major step down. He made himself weak so that he could feel pain, so that he could get tired, so he would sweat and get dirty, and so that he would be like us. Not only that, he knew that his bride couldn't be his unless he paid the price. The bride price. In some cultures, that continues. You have to pay a price for your bride. I never had to do it. Thanks, Rich. (laughs) (laughs) You could have done. (laughs) But yeah, in our culture, it doesn't really happen, but but it used to. You you would pay a dowry, whatever it is. You pay a a bride price. And Jesus knew there there was a price to pay for his bride to be with him. And the price was his death his death see the objects of his passionate love had done so much wrong that a sacrifice had to be made and throughout biblical history you have to understand this thing about sacrifice about wrongdoing and sacrifice all the way through from the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi there are sacrifices people do wrong things God says you have to sacrifice that to pay for that and the big sins the really bad things it would be literally oxen You bring bulls in, thousands of them sometimes, and you burn them in front of me. And I will smell that, and I will know that you have given what you've got, 
and I will forgive your sin, I will overlook your sin. All the way through the Bible, that pattern is repeated. There are whole chapters, whole, whole books of the Bible devoted to the laws around that. But there was a, an ultimate sacrifice had to be paid for us. All the sin of every human being who'd ever lived before he was born in Bethlehem was put on him. I don't know how many thousands and millions of years that may have been. All that sin was put on him. All the sin of every human being alive at that time was put on him as well as he died on the cross. And all the sin of everyone to come, including the however many billion it is on the planet right now, was laid on him, including mine, including yours. He saw it coming (laughs) and still did it. And I want to take you just to an aspect of Jesus' death that you may not have thought about before. I'm going to take you to Luke 23, verse 26, and this is during the crucifixion. Um, And this is, well, this just got to me, really. Um, I'm going to read the, the bit before as well about Simon of Cyrene and just put the picture in full context but um, you can follow it with me in Luke 23 starting at 26 and as they led him away they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus I guess by this point Jesus was so beaten up and so um, scourged that he had no strength left to, to even walk let alone carry a cross so they took it off him and gave it to this guy and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Can I just stop right there? On the cross, he is just being executed. And he is asking the Father to forgive his executioner just need to stop there for a moment that is his heart (coughs) and they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching but the rulers scoffed at him saying he saved others let him save himself if he is the Christ of God his chosen one the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews, to mock the Jews as well. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. I love that word, railed. You don't see that word much. What it means is he just yelled at Jesus, screamed at him. I'm not going to scream down the microphone, trust me, but he said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I want to stop right there because this is what caught me when I was reading this. Jesus was kind of leading me to write this. I wrote this in an hour, this sermon. It it just came. And it was almost like I was writing down what he said to write. And he wants you to know that even at the moment of his death, he so wanted to be in relationship with the other people being crucified around him that he was prepared to reach out to them as well. He never stopped until his life stopped at that moment of death. He just constantly sought relationship See, when Jesus sees you, his heart skips a beat. <laughs> he desires nothing more than to be in relationship with you and with me. When I first met Lucy, I experienced a kind of desperation. It was a, a taste of what God feels towards us. And it, I wanted to be her guy. If she went somewhere, I wanted to go there. <laughs> if she decided she was going home, I wanted to walk her home. If she went to church, I was going there (laughs) to hear her sing. I was like a shadow, I think she would say, (laughs) in a nice way. Just kind of followed her around, really. Any opportunity to talk to her, I would take it. And that's how Jesus feels about you. He'll follow you around for as long as it takes to win your heart. You may have noticed him from time to time. (laughs) He'll tell you he loves you, and then he'll wait, just like you do. You're trying to persuade someone to get into a relationship with you. If you've ever asked him to come into your life, and many of us have, you'll know what it feels like when he comes into your heart, when you accept him. That moment of of incredible love, magnify that by several billion, that's how it feels in heaven. (laughs) That's what I reckon. That's how it's going to feel when we're united with him. I want to go back to um, an experience, personal testimony, back in uh, 2003 when Joseph was born, our first child. And, uh, and this is quite a profound experience of Jesus, really, that happened in the hospital when, um, well, I'll just read it. It's easier if I read it. Joseph was born by caesarean section after a 36-hour labor failed to progress. And Lucy was rushed into surgery, completely exhausted. Here's a bit of reality. I was a spare part. I was emotional and tired (laughs) you know when you get to that point where you're not much used to anyone and um, I got pushed aside really quite rightly and uh, and I got the surgical clothing on that they give you and they said sit there wait (laughs) I was like okay and I just sat uh, and for a moment there my whole world fell apart I was um, just told to wait and it was about 20-25 minutes something like that sat there with silence all I could hear was the, uh, the medical staff sort of moving around and, and there was blood on my slippers. Remember that. Uh, and that's the moment when you sit on that seat. Some of you may have sat on that seat outside the operating room in Labour Ward down at Northampton General. And you sit there and you don't know whether you're going to lose your wife or your child or both. And that was a moment of deep emotion and a moment of great fear and dread for me. 
I've never prayed more earnestly than I did right there. And it was at that moment that I was aware of Jesus being right next to me. I'm not making this up. He was right next to me. He didn't speak to me. He didn't do anything, but he was there. He just let me know that he was there. And in the moment of my greatest fear and dread, I had an anchor to hold to. Just had that sense, even if. Even if. You know, he's still there. You know, at 1 a.m. in the labor ward, Jesus can be there. But he's not just there for the crisis. He doesn't want to be there just for the crisis. He will be there in the crisis, trust me. But he wants to be there all the time. He wants to be with you all the time. He wants to follow you around. He wants to sit in the coffee shop with you. He wants to go to work with you. He wants to sit in the car with you on the bus. He wants to go for a walk with you. When you walk the dog, he wants to come too. When you go to the shops, he's waiting at the door going, what should we get today? He, he wants to be there with you. And you know what's even more amazing? As you get to know him, he starts to whisper things to you at times. So you're walking around Tesco's or Asda or something like that. There are other supermarkets. And you, <laughs> you're walking around and he'll go, have you seen that guy over there? Yeah. He needs to be prayed for. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not quite ready for that. Okay. We'll try again next week. You know? And he's like that. He's, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to do that stuff, if you're willing nothing would give him more joy than to spend eternity with you as a 13 year old boy I was already lost in sin I was hard hearted Um, I'd set my path ahead of me and I wasn't particularly God wasn't part of it but Jesus broke into my life when I let him in and he flooded my heart with light and my sin got washed away in his love I was tangibly aware of that as a 13 year old teenager who thought I was hard and I cried like a baby my shame was taken away in its place I received a garment of praise and joy still wearing it (laughs) I know that I'm forgiven and I'm going to spend eternity with him that's my assurance and by his grace he has done wonderful things in my life I have children I have a beautiful wife enabled me to get a good job and like I said I'm a father but I'm a father to thousands of kids you know, in, my, in my work and in a, in a funny sort of way <laughs> like a day father <laughs> a lot of them um, need that and the great thing is that because he's completely good you don't need to worry about being condemned because he doesn't do that when you get it wrong he's right there going yep. okay, ah hi <laughs> and, and when you say sorry he's straight back with you no grudges no condemnation Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Jesus wants to have an encounter with you we've had it today it's been happening already would you like to have an encounter with Jesus <laughs> would you yeah. <laughs> I know I do every day you'll never be the same again And when Jesus has encounters with people, miracles happen. Throughout the Gospels, you'll find them. Um, Let's go to Matthew. I'll just read a few for you. Matthew 15. Jesus went on from there. This is verse 29, 15, 29 of Matthew. 
Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He said, start walking. It's like you and me. Nice place to walk. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. <laughs> Just like we do. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. It's almost like Jesus became the NHS. You know, not in a jokey way. I don't mean that in a jokey way. You imagine how many thousands of people go through Northampton General. They all went to Jesus instead. (laughs) He had a crowd of crippled people and blind people being dragged along behind him everywhere he went. (laughs) And he healed them, it says in verse 30. They put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. He just did this all the time. And in Mark 8, 22 and 24, there's a blind man at Bethsaida. Um, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. This is someone who's never seen before. He doesn't know what they are. These days you hear of um, people being treated for their vision and they start to see like trees walking. They they say, what is that? You just see an image, you don't understand it. This was someone being healed of blindness instantly. (laughs) So he spit on his eyes. Why? Why? I think there was something in the DNA. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when the DNA of Jesus met the DNA of a human being, it just went poof, healing. John 11 talks about Lazarus, who's a friend of Jesus, one of his pals. If we read from verse 1, this is quite a. I'll finish with this. This is quite a story. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, that one, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. it. He knew straight away that this was important. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. (laughs) Now let's just go over that again. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense, because surely he'd be rushing there. He'd be rushing there to be there. But he waited two days because God told him to. (laughs) He waited two days. And during that time, let's see what happens. After this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking you to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day... He doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. (laughs) Won't he? (laughs) 
You can imagine when, when you're hanging out with Jesus, you look an idiot quite a lot, don't you? <laughs> He's asleep. It's okay. <laughs> now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. <laughs> and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin and said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. They fully expected to be killed on this little journey. It's crazy. He's waited two days, so the guy's died, and now we're going there and they're going to stone us to death. Whew, faith. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That's a bold statement, isn't it? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. <laughs> She's a good Jew. She'd been brought up well, taught the, taught the scriptures. On the last day, we'll be risen. You know. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> Ooh. Let's go over that again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, if you tell me that Jesus was an emotionless Messiah character who comes along and just fixes things, this is a man weeping over his friend. He's deeply troubled. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept his, this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it Jesus said take away the stone Martha the sister of the dead man said to him Lord by this time there will be an odour for he has been dead four days this is a hot country Jesus said to her excuse me a second I have oil on my hands <laughs> did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. 
when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! (laughs) The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. It's a proper zombie movie. It's like a mummy coming out of this tomb. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. (laughs) You see, what I love about this is it shows you the playful nature of Jesus. He's just waiting for the right moment to do this. He could have done it two days previously or whenever it was when he was first told. He could have just gone, you know what? He's healed. Because he could do that. He could do it remotely. He could just think it and it would happen. But he didn't. He waited because he wanted everyone to see what he was trying to tell them. And what he was trying to tell them was, I love you and I want you in a relationship with me. I want you to follow me. I want you to see who I am. So he waited until he got there. He waited until he was sure he was dead. He waited until he'd been in the tomb for four days before he did anything. And then he finally arrived there and the emotion was almost too much for him. But he went in there and Lazarus walked out of that tomb covered in his death robes. And in in that bit before, he says, Thank you, you've heard me, Father. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He was trying to get the point across. Okay. So hopefully I've got my point across. Jesus wants a relationship with you, not a religion. Imagine the power of all of us taking Jesus with us everywhere we go. Imagine that. Imagine if we were aware of him all the time. Imagine if we were listening to him all the time. Imagine if when you walk out of here and you get on the bus to go home, whatever it is, when you sit down, he just whispers in your ear, I want you to pray for that guy in front of you. You don't need to tell him, just pray. And you did. That's what he wants to do. That's what we have. Are you walking, talking and moving with Jesus? Is Jesus a part of your life or is he one with your life? I felt, you know, when I was preparing this, sometimes I say, is Jesus a part of your life? It should be all. It should be everything. Do we have him in a compartment? Do we have him in a box? Do we have him there for Sundays and when I'm feeling holy? When I put some Hillsong music on, maybe I'll think about him. Or do we have him at the front of our lives? Do we have him right there, everywhere we go? Or is he in his box, waiting for you to take the lid off when it's convenient, when you need him? Do we use people in our relationships? Sometimes we try and use Jesus too, as a fixer. But he wants relationship face to face with you. Do you know him? Well, come and join in the adventure. (laughs) I love this picture. I won't share it again on Facebook because it gets annoying for people, but... um, This isn't about religion. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm not asking you to participate in a ritual on a weekly basis and then all your dreams will come true. Just quickly, I was um, 20 years ago, I was in Kathmandu in Nepal and we went to the Monkey Temple and the uh, the Golden Temple there and got shown round Patan Patan Square and all the, the places that are now in ruins after the earthquake. And it breaks your heart to see it in ruins and think of all the people who've died there and suffering. But when we walked around those temples, we went into one of the temples and you could smell the incense. It was tangible. And they, the young lad that was showing us around, he was making a few quid out of it, he, he said, um, 
This is the golden temple. This is a, a shrine where people come and they spin the wheels. And when they spin the wheels, they have Buddhist text written on the wheels. And when they spin them, they go off into the air, into Brahma, and he answers their prayers. I was like, huh? And he said, well, watch, you'll see. And this guy came in. He was obviously a shopkeeper or businessman or something. And he came in and he spanned the wheels. He was walking around this shrine, spinning the wheels. And all of these wheels are holy wheels. And he was spinning them. And the young lad turned to me. He's about 12 years old. And he said, he has to do it eight times or it won't work. So he goes around spinning the wheels, eight laps. This took about 10 minutes, something like that. And then he went like that. And he went back to work. And I thought, how futile is that? How many times a day does he come in here and do that, hoping that he'll get money? But it actually angered me that this religion captures people. And that's what religion does. It captures you, it puts you in a pit, and it won't let you out until you do the things. Do the things, and then maybe you'll get out. Jesus hated religion. He hated it. You see the way he treated the Pharisees? Brood of vipers, he called them keeping people in their sin, making them come to the temple and give their sacrifices, give their money to them, then maybe you'll be forgiven. Yeah, we've said it so it will happen. How dare they? Jesus saw it for what it was. Jesus wants relationship and he made it possible for us through his death and three days later, his resurrection. He came back from the dead without anyone praying for him. (laughs) He came back from the dead because he wanted to. They didn't even know how he got out the tomb. Soldiers fell asleep and that was it. <laughs> the tomb was rolled, stone was rolled away and there he was. And ever since then, he's been rolling away tombs, rolling away doors from tombs and letting people out. So come and join him. Okay, my heart for you is that you'll know Jesus in a, in a deeper way today than you ever have before. Let's stand up. Let's finish this. Let's just close our eyes. If it helps you, you can hold your hands out. Helps me express myself. Holy Spirit, we loose you here. Reveal Jesus to everybody. I pray that no one will leave this room before they've had an encounter with you this morning. Show us your face. Just ask him personally to give you a glimpse of where he is right now. Jesus, will you show each person where you are? Hmm. Can you feel his presence? I know I can. He's right here. Holy Spirit, speak to us. always good just look at the expression on his face if you can't see it just feel it you can feel his smile it burns so brightly yeah Jesus I pray for everyone here as we go through this week ahead that you will walk right by our side that we'll know your presence every moment of every day and every night. And whatever happens, come what may, we take you with us everywhere we go.
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life so that we could know you. Thank you that there's going to be a wedding when we get to walk down the aisle to you. And we're going to dance. (laughs) We're going to dance down the aisle to our glorious groom. We can't wait for that day, but while we do, stay with us.